I keep trying to figure out the best and most clever way to set up this scene. I've written countless paragraphs about watershed moments and when and why they arrive, but none of them serve the story better than the story itself. In the autumn of 1990, the mayor of Nashville, Tennessee, appeared on The Phil Donahue Show. For those who weren't conscious at that time, Donahue was a daytime talk show hosted by a spastic, bespectacled, white-haired former journalist Phil Donahue. It was medium trashy. Bill Boner's appearance was not itself noteworthy, but accompanying him was his new wife, his fourth. And this was noteworthy as, until very recently, Boner was still married to his third wife. Boner and the new first lady, Tracy Peel, had recently been revealed by local publications, were dating while Boner was still married to that third wife. This was controversial. The mayor and Peel were married three days after the divorce had become final. The newlyweds were accompanied by local journalists and reporters who confirmed for Donahue and his home audience that Nashville indeed found the whole thing pretty messed up. In media accounts from the time, Peel was alternately described as a nightclub singer and an inspiring country star. In press photos, she appears conventionally beautiful with a tan face and white blonde hair. And teeth, I imagine, had to have been bleached or I don't know, they're whiter than mine. <laughs> she, she's noticeably younger than Boner, who was in his mid-40s at the time. Oh, and here's where I should probably tell you that you're listening to Nashville Demystified. I'm your host, Alex Steed. I typically introduce Nashville Demystified by explaining that it's an attempt to get to know the city better by talking with the folks who live, work, agitate, and make art here. This, however, is the first of a 10-episode miniseries about the 1980s in Music City. Over the course of the series, we'll look at Nashville's art, music, culture, politics, and history through the lens of the Reagan 80s. National Demystified is brought to you by Knack Factory, a video and content production company with offices here in the city. If you need commercial video made or you need video for whatever purpose made by other people who make video, talk to Knack Factory. That's not the technical motto. It's just made up on the spot right now. National Demystified is also distributed by We Own This Town. It's a collection of podcasts made by Nashvillians. They're all very good. You should listen to them. Please subscribe, review, share with friends, do that whole thing. It really, really does help. It gets other people to know about the show, which helps me wake up in the morning and realize it's all for something. (laughs) Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, uh, which is a place where we still have a page for some reason. I'm not entirely sure, but follow us on any place you feel comfortable on social media. Uh, We really do appreciate it. Back to Boner. A photo from the National Public Library Archives shows the then mayor and Peel at the airport upon their arrival home from their wedding in Hawaii. They're standing at the baggage claim. Neither is looking at the camera. Peel is stunning. Boner looks like he's about to say something. He's dressed casually but looks sharp. He's got on black loafers, no socks. His shirt's unbuttoned down to his chest. It's white. It's tucked in. He's got sort of billowy slacks on. He's exposing a gold chain with that open shirt. Goodfellas, Martin Scorsese's epic about the rise and bloody fall of mid-level New York gangsters would come out in September of that year, about a month before the whole Donahue affair. Boner looks like he's an extra from that film. You may already know all this, or at least bits and pieces. Every year, the Nashville scene honors Boner with the Boner Awards, where they highlight the dumb things people in the public eye have done in the past year. The annual feature is preceded by a retelling of the melodrama, But then again, maybe it's become so ubiquitous 
that maybe you don't remember. Maybe you're new here and this is all news to you. Maybe you knew once, but 30 years of scandal have since taken over the parts of your brain where it all once lived. For a controversy belonging to such a memorably named politician, I've been shocked to find out how many people know, you know, something happened and it was absurd, but they don't exactly know what it was. That the episode of Donahue was not available online is probably a huge part of that. Lucky for Boner, all this happened before the advent of the World Wide Web. He missed out on being immortalized as an internet meme, though it's never too late for that sort of thing. Before Trump became an all-encompassing, attention-sucking force, the Boner story would pop up here and there in national press as an example of how much worse things could be for so-and-so politician embroiled in so-and-so scandal. This happened as recently as 2013 when conservative blogger Andrew Sullivan brought up Boner in the context of, who else? Anthony Weiner. Could be worse. Could be Bill Boner. Part of the reason the mayor and his new bride appeared on Donahue was rooted in the controversy that came from a news story, uh, the National Banner uh, specifically, had outed the extramarital affair that preceded their union. There's so many conflicting reports about what actually happened regarding the reporting of Boner and Peel's relationship and what was admitted by whom. It has since come down to the staff of the paper insisting the two admitted the affair, though other details seem too good to be true. Like the one in which Peel is reported to have told a Banner staffer that Boner had several hours worth of sexual endurance and I'm actually seven hours of sexual endurance. According to the Banner's then editor, the couple would refute those claims after they were reported, though he continues, he being the editor, continues to claim that it all went down the way legitimate reporting is supposed to go down. As recently as 2015, Peel has maintained that it was a total fabrication on the part of the reporter. It's also worth noting that an out-and-out affair is juicy short, but it's hard to imagine any of this would have captured the attention or interest of a show like Donahue without the mayor's name being Boner and there being a suggestion that he could fuck for seven hours. So, like, I don't know if a midlife crisis is an actual thing, but if they are, it appears Boner may have been going through one at the time. On the episode, he was reportedly giddy. Peel, again, a singer, sat at a piano and sang a rendition of Rocky Top, one of Tennessee's 10 official state songs. That's an important fact I found out while looking at this all up. Tennessee has 10 official state songs. Uh, and while this was going down, the mayor played the harmonica. Donahue told Boner, you are very close to giving the finger to the city, appearing on this show. Placed in the context of today, this sort of thing might not even register. Our president is literally a reality TV game show host. But this was before a pro wrestler had been elected governor of Minnesota or an action movie star elected governor of California. This was when politics was generally carried out in a pretty specific and particular way, even sex scandals. You get busted fucking up and you deny, deny, deny until you are truly caught and then you apologize. You get to work reforming your image. It's truly hard to believe that this thing happened. Like, what was Boner thinking? What was Peel thinking? To go on Donahue was one thing, but to go on Donahue while flaunting an affair was another altogether. America had never seen such a thing. So understandably, Nashvillians were upset. 
This was a different time for this southern city, and it was a lot closer in character to Robert Altman's big rural town than the city is today, and the folks were sensitive about its portrayal in the larger press. A public official going on a major television show to flaunt this infidelity was a little too on the nose with regard to backwood stereotypes. In one AP story, R.J. Hill, an engineering consultant, said, I'm thoroughly disgusted with the way the mayor and his wife handled themselves. Boner and Peel should have defended themselves before the people of Nashville rather than to a national audience. The mayor's spokesperson at the time said that the office had received a number of calls after the appearance, and they were half negative, half positive. The calls closer to home tended to be negative, he said. And then Boner issued a statement that his personal life, which he just flaunted on a national syndicated talk show, is, quote, off limits to reporters. This was, as put retrospectively by the Memphis Daily News, Nashville's summer of shame, though the appearance was technically in the fall. It was, more broadly, symbolic of a fall from grace, not just for a boner, but for an era of a specific kind of politics in Nashville. In 2010, the flood came and devastated and reshaped the city. In many ways, the effects are still being seen and felt today. It was a literal watershed moment. There was before the flood, there was after the flood. 20 years before, Nashville's end of a decade, start of another watershed moment was shaped in large part by a flamboyant mayor's appearance on a medium trashy daytime talk show. I don't compare the two to trivialize the terrible catastrophic damage caused by the flood. It took and destroyed lives. And it took the livelihoods of so many, many more. It it relocated people. It caused billions in damage. I say so because similarly, whether or not people think of it or phrase it this way, there is before the so-called summer of shame, and there is after. For the city, it was a downfall of a certain kind of politics and politician. It was very much the end of the 80s in Nashville, and Boner's fall was only half the story, as the so-called summer of shame was equally defined by the downfall of a politician even more flamboyant than a guy who looked like an extra from a Scorsese film. No joke, more on that shortly. All of this is a way of looking at where the 80s landed and ended, because we're going to spend this series getting to know the Nashville of that decade. How did we get to Boner on Donahue? And we know all about Nashville and country music in the 70s, and we know about Garth and Shania's 90s, but what the hell was going on with Music City in the 1980s? What was the city like in the last robust decade of Kingmakers, back when it was known that you had to curry favor with political bosses to make it in any real way, when sheriffs deputized country singers and as an honor gave away keys to the prison? What was it like back when parents dropped off their kids for an unmonitored day at Opryland or when the kids were older to the Rivergate Mall? What was it like when you could call 244-2222 and have a Mr. Gotti's pizza delivered? When Aladdin Industries was cranking out Care Bears and Popple's lunchboxes? When shops like Adult News and The Wheel sold porn on Broadway back when the Tennessee Titans were the Houston Oilers? When you could play a handful of sets at the brand new Bluebird Cafe and score a record contract in a matter of months, what was that like? Like I said, the boner thing is only half of what made up the summer of shame. The Donahue debacle happened just a month after Fate Thomas was sentenced to five years in jail in order to pay $80,000 in fines for theft. When Thomas went to jail, Waylon and Willie petitioned for his release. 
Thomas was also friendly with Merle Haggard and Johnny Cash. You know who Thomas was, you're already ahead of the punchline, but if you don't, I imagine you're curious to know who this friend of the outlaw country music stars was. Christopher Lafayette Fate Thomas was, you wait for it, the sheriff of Davidson County from 1972 to 1990. He was famous for being flamboyant, for wearing a big white hat, for wearing all white suits to funerals, for honoring famous Nashvillians and other artists by giving them keys to the prison. He deputized Johnny Cash. You can see the badge issued by Thomas down at the Cash Museum. Thomas was a hell of a political boss. He was a natural politician. Describing his own style, he said, some people say I'm a political animal, and I am. I go to places, and I see people, and I meet people. I do well with them. When they have an opening somewhere, I'm there. When somebody gets promoted, I call them and congratulate them. When people have birthdays, I try to remember them. Usually my secretary gives me a list of people who are having birthdays and I call him. If fate liked you, he was there for you. He'd call you on your birthday. Of him, the Metro Pulse wrote that he'd been a political kingmaker, the engine of a Democratic Party machine whose power some resented, but no one doubted. The get-out-the-vote operation the sheriff represented and that benefited Boner and other Democratic politicians was legendary and you needed him on your side to win. Thomas's son has suggested that Al Gore was given his start in politics because the sheriff allowed it. The same, many might say, could be said for Boner. Thomas would hold massive rabbit dinners that would bring out thousands of Nashvillians, literally between five and 6,000, and this was where significant political wheeling and dealing would take place. He would, though, after an illustrious career as a political boss, go to prison for over four years. He'd been found guilty of using a half million dollars in taxpayer money, time, and labor to repair his properties. On the other end of this sentence, fallen from grace, he would work as a car salesman until his death in 2000. When he died, friends and former foes noted that he was the last of a disappearing breed. But before all this... Throughout the lion's share of the 70s and the whole of the 80s, Nashville belonged to the industries, music and insurance, and to Fate Thomas in his kind. According to a Metropolis column in 2002, Nashville in the 80s was a world governed by a sheriff with a larger-than-life personality, a white hat-wearing boss hog of a figure, Fate Thomas, and a mayor picked from the other good old boys of East Nashville, Bill Boner, the hero of Russell Street. When the two biggest names in Nashville's political machine went down, they went down hard. They went down so hard, Boner appears to have seen the writing on the wall. He didn't even run for re-election. He was the first Metro mayor to serve only one term until Megan Barry was seen cavorting with her then head of security, with whom she'd been carrying on a two-year affair at the Nashville City Cemetery 18 years later, and she resigned. Oh, and speaking of unlucky in love, you should know that Boner and Peel's marriage lasted only for two years before he cheated on her. Well, I don't know how far in he cheated, but they got divorced due to his infidelity two years in. According to an AP report at the time, circuit judge overseeing the divorce of Boner and Peel had to bring in another judge to oversee the divorce, as she also used to date Boner. While this was all happening, Peel received news that her recording contract was being terminated. She was on the verge of releasing a song called Almost Single. And a total aside, but seemingly wholly apropos, turns out Boner's engagement ring had been a fake diamond all along. 
25 years after it all, Peel would tell the Memphis Daily News, Bill and I shared in a common mistake, but mistakes shape our lives and through adversity we grow. No regrets. So let's get to know Fate City as it was in Reagan's decade and understand how the hell we got to this place. This boner on Donahue place. But it won't be all politics. We'll get to know Sheriff Thomas and Mayor Boner a little bit better and Boner's predecessor, the three-term Mayor Richard Fulton. We'll hang out at malls and go to Opryland, spend some time at the Bluebird. We'll try to understand homelessness and race and busing in the music industry and why Broadway was less of a destination for bachelorette parties than it is today. We'll talk with some of the folks who were there. It'll be an incomplete picture. It'll be very much a work in progress. I'll try like hell to be accurate as I can be, but I can guarantee I'll be wrong in some of the places, but I'm going to do everything I can to understand the decade of my birth in Music City. And I'd be honored if you'd come along and take that ride with me. Until next week, this is Alex Steed with Nashville Demystified. All right, everybody, that's it for this episode. I want to thank audio engineer Cameron Davidson for putting the show together. I want to thank Michael Eads of We Own This Town for both giving the show a home on his network of podcasts and redesigning our logo a bit to fit the theme of this mini-series. I love it. Episode notes, including all sources I utilize for this episode, can be found on the website. And you should know right now that I pulled from articles published by the likes of the Memphis Daily News, the Daily Times, Metro Pulse, Nashville scene and much much more until next week find us wherever you get your podcasts and wherever you follow stuff online we're there like subscribe review as I said do that whole thing it really does help and thank you again for listening